Will you keep doing what you're doing? I sometimes think I've been doing the same thing since I began blogging and adventuring back in 2001. Thankfully, my work has evolved in the past 20 years, although the changes are so gradual that I often don't notice the shifting baseline. As an example of this flux, the adventures I aspired to have arced through gigantic bike rides to elite polar expeditions to sleeping on suburban hills to redefining adventures playing the violin in public to spending a year exploring the single small map I live on. My storytelling has moved from emailing a kind volunteer who manually updated my blog a few times a year, a big FTP palaver, to my first tweet in March 2008, getting ready for the 120-mile Devizes Westminster Canoe Marathon, to my first YouTube video and recording my first audiobook. My income has morphed from speaking at primary schools to corporate talks, from self-published books and magazines to a traditional big publisher, and now back to an emphasis on self-publishing. From whooping at receiving free gear as sponsorship to becoming an ambassador for outdoor companies and being paid to wear their clothes. Writing these paragraphs has cheered me up enormously. It shows me that I haven't just been doing the same thing for 20 years, and therefore there's no reason for the next 20 years to remain the same. Freedom and flexibility are amongst the highlights of being a working adventurer. The times, they are always a changing. My priorities have changed. I feel less ambitious these days and more inclined to ride my bike. Less competitive, more collaborative. Less envious of continent-hopping Instagram travellers, more dreaming of a tight-knit community of friends in the hills or by the ocean. I'm reading more Marcus Aurelius and fewer how to market your blog books. My world is slower and more restricted than it used to be, and I no longer seem to have any answers, only a carousel of questions. During the ghastly year of lockdown, I began going on aimless photography walks. I hoped that meandering might make it easier to pose open questions than my usual manic runs and challenges and missions that all demand solutions. It was an opportunity to examine my working life and untangle myself from the habit or duty of doing things the way I've always done them. To ponder what I and how I work and live. To ask whether the things I enjoyed doing in the past are the same as what I want to do in the future. What do I want to spend the rest of my life doing? What do I not want to spend the rest of my life doing? These are not questions to rush. Asking yourself difficult questions is a good exercise in noticing, slowing down, evolving and adapting to your limitations and constraints, perhaps even turning them into positive virtues. It's an opportunity to reset priorities and simplify needs. I began by challenging all the assumptions that I've held for a long time about being a working adventurer. I consciously considered whether I wanted to hold on to each of them or let them go. I find it harder to let go of expired ways of doing things than to embrace new methods and ideas. Loss aversion theory shows that we all generally prefer to avoid losing something more than we like acquiring equivalent gains. This results in me staggering around with vast armfuls of hoarded ideas and expectations. Shedding some of this load has been extremely helpful. One evening, 
I opened a double-page spread of my notebook and titled the left-hand page, What Annoys Me? and the right-hand page, Solutions. There's no point being irritated by something if I can find a way to fix it instead. I also went through every aspect of my life as a working adventurer, speaking events, my working week, adventures, writing, etc. For each one, I allocated various options such as accept it, find alternatives, eliminate and do more of it. This process felt cathartic, like slashing away years of brambles and tangled undergrowth, wiping everything away and then thoughtfully selecting the few items that fit best with my life right now. This was more clear-cut and satisfying than grabbing an armful of items from a ridiculously over-cluttered attic. My conclusion from this period of reflection was that I do not intend to keep being a working adventurer in the way I've interpreted that model for so long. I'm less interested in the thrill of adventure than I used to be, less drawn to tales of endurance or daring do. I'm more interested in the natural world, nature, creativity and encouraging positive change through living adventurously every day. I'm not saying that any of these aspects are better or worse, only that I have changed. Whatever direction a regular reassessment of the way I work leads me in the years to come, I certainly hope that I will keep pursuing paths that are both thought-provoking and interesting. Quick question. Do you get bored sometimes? I assume the question is about my working life, but you might be surprised how frequently I feel bored when I'm on a big adventure plodding down a road all day or hauling on the oars in the middle of a blank ocean is often dull. By contrast, I don't often feel bored in my daily working life. I could certainly live without those Zoom calls where someone decides to read out their entire PowerPoint presentation. Anything involving the word tax is taxing. I sometimes find writing articles boring, particularly if they're the sort of thing I've churned out many times before. But these all thankfully make up a very small portion of my working life. Quick question. How do you define true adventure? Something that you find difficult, daunting, thrilling and new with a significant risk of failure and a reward that feels worth all the struggle. Question. What is the biggest professional risk you've taken And how old were you? I like this question's specificity. Tim Ferriss wrote that life punishes the vague wish and rewards the specific ask. I was 33 years old when I veered away from my mission to do one big adventure each year. Until then, my hunch had been that I needed at least one new story to write and speak about every year. Other adventurers had demonstrated that this accumulation and progression was a proven career path to tread. So far, I'd cycled around the world, run the toughest foot race on earth, walked across southern India and was training for an expedition to the South Pole. Things were heading in the right direction and I was enjoying it all and benefiting from the self-confidence I was building. But then I decided to change tack and spend a year doing little trips that I called micro-adventures to walk a lap of the M25, go mountain biking with my friends and sleep on many suburban hills. I had an inkling that all the people who enjoyed vicarious tales of big adventure 
would also love to have more adventures of their own. But I also worried that some would say, nah mate, that's not an adventure, that's just camping. I feared a loss of credibility, something far more terrifying for me than a loss of income. I was concerned that audiences at my talks would not be interested in these little trips. I dreaded that I was slamming the brakes on my adventuring career just as it gained some traction. The result of all this anxiety and second guessing? I was named one of National Geographic's Adventurers of the Year, one of the best and most surprising things that has ever happened to me. I signed my first ever book deal with a major publisher and my career accelerated. What does this mean? Trust your gut, I guess. Lead, don't follow. Don't be afraid to walk your own path. Quick question. How did you overcome the fear of icy cold and bad backs sleeping in fields and forests? I overcome most of my fears just by having a go. By and large, present fears are less than horrible imaginings. Get a blank piece of paper and start writing. Pick up the phone and say hello. Pack a rucksack ridiculously full with warm clothes and camping mattresses and give it a try. You might be surprised.